folks, and welcome back to a new season of Unseen, the podcast where we have a chat about some of the brilliant projects happening at Queen's Hall Arts Centre, the creative heart of the community. And in each episode, we'll go behind the scenes and lift the curtain on all of the graft, planning, inspiration and stories that it takes to turn amazing ideas into amazing projects. And this season is just a little bit different to the last because as well as bringing you wonderful interviews and stories from artists, we're also going to be doing a bit of a Queen's Hall newsletter to keep you updated on some of the fantastic things going on here that you can enjoy. So there's a few few of us here in the studio today. So should we just go around and say hi? So I'm Bridie Jackson, a local musician. And also in the studio, we have Dominic Smith. Hello, I'm Dominic. I'm Associate Curator at Queen's Hall. Hi, and I'm Katie, and I'm the Artistic Director at the Queen's Hall. So we are going to start with a bit of a roundup of some of the amazing things going on at Queen's Hall over the next couple of weeks. And as always, there's a pretty amazing buffet of different things to choose from including theatre comedy visual art and lots more um there really is something for everybody um how about we start with a bit of a chat on some of the visual art that's happening at the moment uh Dominic, are you all right to tell us about that? yeah sure there's a few interesting exhibitions coming up the ones that we can get this podcast together in time for will be animating hexam and an exhibition around the Unsung Heroes project that we told you all about in the last the last episodes. So um, uh, during lockdown, or during the lockdowns uh, last year, we put together an amazing exhibition called Animating Hexam. We commissioned uh, a number of artists to make animations, and they were all shown in shop spaces, shop windows and shop fronts along the high street. And it was an amazing experience, and it gave people a chance to get out and see art and have that kind of opening experience in a safe environment. Um, but we realized that uh, not everybody would have been able to get to that and that there's some brilliant work had been made and we wanted to make sure more people got to see it. So that is coming up at Queen's Hall. We're putting together a showreel of that that will be shown in Gallery 2, opening on the 30th of September. Is that right, Katie? <laughs> I always panic about dates. Sorry, I'm getting in the diary now. <laughs> I think we should leave some of this in because I think pe- pe- people quite like this stuff, I think. <laughs> it came about, actually, it was an opportunity because uh, there was an exhibition that we've delayed because uh, there's a potential to really do something special with it. Uh, and if we hurried it, it we, we couldn't we couldn't grasp that opportunity. It had so much work to fill. There was no problem at all. Yeah, and it is the 30th because I've just looked it up. Um <laughs> in our diary so yeah it's definitely starting on the 30th and it's great it's a great opportunity to showcase the things that we did during lockdown which um took a lot of effort and a lot of hard work of everyone working together from their own little spaces in their own homes and we haven't really had an opportunity to showcase what we did to a wider audience so creating that bit of space in the visual arts program has allowed us to do that and it just shows how flexible we can be um, and how responsive we can be to turn this around so quickly so we can pat ourselves on the back (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And there's, there's some great work in it from, and it's all very different. Uh, and some of the work is from artists based in the Northeast, and some of it's from artists across the country. Uh, it's definitely worth coming to see. Um, and talking about um, lockdown mm -hmm. projects and projects and how we kind of managed to make some interesting work during that period of time. We also have the Unsung Heroes yes. project as well. And Unsung Heroes is the subject of all of the previous podcasts. So I strongly encourage you, the listener, to go back over our back catalogue to find out more about that. But um, we are going to be showing the augmented reality aspects of that work in the gallery. So if you wonder what augmented reality is, if you wonder what the Unsung Heroes project is, if you are interested in finding out more and picking up some cards to see the work yourself at home, uh, work performed by a lot of amazing musicians and all chorraled by Bridie as well, yeah. and all the songs written by Bridie, uh, then definitely come down uh, to see that work, which opens on the 30th of September as well in Gallery One. Professional chorale, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And you can listen to the previous episodes of our podcast as well and hear a bit more about the story of um, Unsung Heroes and hear a bit more about the heroes and about Bridie's fantastic songwriting. Hmm. I'm feeling very awkward now, so I'm going to swiftly move us <laughs> on <laughs> to uh, the next little section. So we've also got some fantastic comedy coming up Um in the early part of October here at Queen's Hall. Uh, Katie, do you want to give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of some of the stuff that's happening? Yeah, so our comedy programme's been growing over the years, my, minus the, the small blip of a pandemic in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we've come back to a fantastic comedy programme, and perhaps one of our biggest names in the autumn will be Rich Hall. And I expect that by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have sold out. Yeah. Um, but all the more reason to get to sign up to our newsletter and to keep an eye on what's going on because we have some really big international comedians yeah. uh, throughout the year and they do sell out really quickly. So you need to be getting your newsletter and booking your ticket the same day. Uh, if you want to get in to see these big names. But we're really excited about having Rich Hall yeah. in our building. It'll be a fantastic show. And we do get the opportunity to go and make him a cup of tea <laughs> before he goes on and have a bit of a chat. I really go want to know how Rich Hall afterwards. takes his tea, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that, we, should ha we should have that, shouldn't we? We should have that little social media post yeah. of like, how they take their tea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do comedians take their tea? I think that's a whole other podcast, a spin-off. And is, if you like your comedy with a dollop of surrealism, there, there's another artist coming early October, isn't there? Yeah, so uh, Marcel Lucas is coming. He's fantastically, wonderfully, surreally French. Um, and if you haven't caught him, have a look. There's some fantastic footage of him live at the Apollo and on his website. But he's won pretty much every award in the comedy world that's going. And, and we're really lucky because he's doing two shows for us. Mm -hmm. And he's doing an afternoon children's show in the studio. So if you want to see it, so him close up, but also as a family-friendly show and you want to bring your kids or your grandkids along and and just have them kind of laughing themselves off their seats because <laughs> uh, there's no one better than children to understand 
surreal comedy and then come back again in the evening so we're really excited about those two shows and the first time in quite a long time that we've had a children's or a family-friendly comedy show in the daytime so yeah that's surreal that's really exciting and I'm sure I'm sure he won't take tea I'm sure he'll have champagne <laughs> in the afternoon the kids I show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again please, please report back on this <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got some brilliant theatre going on, haven't we? Um, particularly the Lawnmowers, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Lawnmowers is a company that, if you don't know about them, um, they're based in Gateshead. And we've known about them for a long time and worked with them. In fact, one of uh, the people who's involved in Lawnmowers is also involved with our youth theatre, so there's a really, really good link. Um but in before lockdown, they started to make a show called Retake, Remake, which looks at um, films that you that talk about learning disabled adults, but don't use learning disabled actors and performers, um, and then lip syncing to those roles and lots of interviews. That sounds really serious, but actually, the show is fantastic and funny and clever surreal and one of the most thought-provoking shows I've ever seen so I saw it during lockdown um as a screening uh on my own in my dining room on my laptop and it like most shows I would normally have taken a break and gone for a cup of tea and answered the door to the Amazon delivery man and done a <laughs> few emails but I sat there for the through the whole thing wow. it's stunning I cannot describe how innovative this show is but also how joyful it is and how much at the end of it is just a party but if you are interested in coming for a great night out come and see it but if you also want to just challenge your own views about learning disability and performance and voices and whose voices should be heard in what way I found it that it really challenged how I thought about it but in a way that didn't feel threatening and difficult it felt welcoming and and open but it completely changed the way I thought about some films that I've really enjoyed in the past Um, but yeah made me question those ideas that sounds absolutely amazing and it just does, yeah. really fascinating and, and and so so needed as well as a, as a conversation. That's just incredible. So also in the category of theatre, we have an amazing production of Henrik Ibsen's A Doll's House coming to Queen's Hall at the end of September. And we actually managed to grab a few minutes to chat to the director of the play, um, Jake Murray, who is uh, whose company Elysium is uh, bringing this production here. So um, we had just a really, really lovely chat together. Um, kind of, we talked a lot about the play, Ibsen's life. Uh, it told me loads of stuff about that that I that I didn't know. It was really fascinating. Um, we also kind of went into what it's like running a theatre company, a little bit about the creative process, which obviously is fascinating. Love that stuff. And also we both just kind of massively gushed about how much we love the Northeast and how much we <laughs> love the creative community that reside here. And it was really it was really nice to have that. Um, so let's have a little listen to our interview with Jake. 
so we have a very exciting guest for you today on the podcast. We have the wonderful Jake Murray, um, who is going to tell us a little bit about himself. So hi, Jake. Um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about you so that our listeners can get to know you a bit? Thanks, Bridie, and lovely to meet you and uh, to do this. It's fantastic. Yeah. So my name's uh, Jake Murray. Uh, I'm a theatre director. I've been a theatre director for nearly 30 years. Um, I moved up to uh, the northeast uh, when I got married. I met a, a woman who lived in Durham uh, and um, uh, just came up here like a, a cannonball out of a cannon. Um, <laughs> settled in Durham in 2016. Um, and in 2017, I founded a theatre company up here with a group of friends of mine who were living, weirdly enough, uh, um, and working in Manchester, which is where most of my professional life's been. Uh, and we just wanted to find a way of getting theatre on. We called it Elysium Theatre Company, and we started very small at the assembly rooms in Durham, uh, and um, and fifty three two, which is a, a fringe venue in Manchester. And to our amazement, five years on, uh, we're now uh, very successful. We have a really big online presence. We've had work that's been seen all over the world. We've gone from just doing two venues, uh, one in Manchester and one in Durham, to our next tour is touring um, ten venues across the, all across the northeast. Uh, and uh, North Yorkshire um, and the show that we're doing after that is another 10 venues uh, going into Cumbria um, and we're pushing towards um, trying to get work on all across the wider north uh, we are totally committed to the northeast I love it up here um, all my life um, uh, I've, I've moved around um, uh, but the only place I've put down roots the only place I'm happy uh, is up here uh, and to my amazement, um, you can tell from my accent, I'm probably not from up here. But uh, what's astonishing to me is that having moved up here, I discovered when we did, uh, my wife bought me Ancestry.com um, to find out my DNA and my ancestors. And it turns out that my family are from Wylam in Northumberland. So ah. that's like two or three generations back. So my my uh, my mother's grandmother, so my great, great grandmother, uh, they, were, they were Northumberland people. Um, and um, so... There are times when I think uh, the reason I'm so happy here is I'm actually coming home. But um, yeah, I, I love it here. It's the most wonderful place. Um, the people are amazing. The landscape is beautiful. Uh, the architecture is incredible. The history um, and the culture as well. Um, uh, so I couldn't be happier. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I'm such an ambassador for the North. I've lived, I grew up here. I've lived here my entire life. And I absolutely love this place. I think it gets very much overlooked and I'm always so happy when people move here and say the same thing. <laughs> well, yes. I keep on saying to all, because for years I worked um, at um, uh, different drama schools and all sorts of students of mine are, are sat in London or Manchester working in bars, waiting for work to come. And I keep saying, just come up here and work in a bar and, and we'll get work on this. There's so much going on up here. Um, uh, I've noticed that audiences are really interested in really good work and and um, there's huge opportunities but it's also an inspirational place because I think I think as an environment it's a place where artists can really thrive and I've found that the art the creative community up here has been incredibly supportive yes. uh, very dedicated um, and and among the best in their field anywhere I've worked so it's, it's a fantastic place. Yes, I agree. That sense of community is really, really strong in the Northeast. And yeah. there's less a sense of competition and more yeah. a sense of how can we all hold each other up, which is yes. just wonderful. 
and really high standards and a, and a, and, a, and a desire to do really valuable work and thoughtful work and authentic work rather than just you know uh, self publicizing work so so i i i found the actors i've worked up here um without without a doubt equal to anybody i've worked with anywhere else so really wonderful this is all really really lovely to hear um and so the the reason that we're having a chat today jake is um of course because you are bringing a production to queen's hall um at the end of september i believe it's wednesday the 28th and thursday the 29th of september right and i'm very excited that you're bringing this production to hexham so um would you like to give us for those of for those people that are unfamiliar with this production a little bit of a potted synopsis of oh, this I particular show so the play is A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. Um, and um, so it's one of the most famous plays in the world. It's seen as the first great play of the modern era. So everything after this play was influenced by this play. Whenever I do a workshop or a talk on it, I point out that if, when you switch the television on and you watch EastEnders or Coronation Street or anything which is about ordinary people um, set in our real world, talking like ordinary people, you owe a debt to this play. Um, so the reason why it's it's seen as as this extraordinary landmark play and why why Ibsen um, is seen as the sort of giant of, 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 of theatre with a massive influence on... on uh, British playwriting and American playwriting. So people like um, Oscar Wilde was a massive Ibsen fan. Uh, you might not believe that, but that's absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> George Bernard Shaw was obsessed with Ibsen. Um, people like Tennessee Williams, um, uh, Edward Albee, uh, and then films. They've been, the, the actresses want to play the role of the main part. It's one of the greatest plays of, of, of the last um, probably 150, 160 years. Um, it's about a uh, middle-class um, Norwegian family called the Helmers, uh, somewhere in Norway in the 19th century. Christmas is coming. It's a very, very happy home. Uh, Torvald, who's the husband, has just is a lawyer, and um, they've had years of hardship. And at the beginning of the play, he's just been appointed the vice president at the bank, which in those days uh, was a major, major role um, in a community. Uh, so he would have been a major community elder. Um, uh, their, his salary is going to be excellent, and and, and finally they go, they're home and dry. So um, it's Christmas is coming. They've got three lovely kids, and his wife Nora, who's the kind of um, homemaker, um, uh, at the beginning of the play has just been out Christmas shopping and is bringing stuff home for the kids. So it seems to be the happiest of happy homes. Um, uh, uh, they're all very positive. It's all terrific, uh, and then uh, visitors from the past start turning up. First of all, a, an old friend, a school friend of, of Nora's who um, hasn't had uh, the, the kind of uh, prosperity or the luck that she's had, comes um, called Christina. She comes asking for um, some help getting a job in the bank. Uh, and the next person who turns up is a man called Krogstar who proceeds to blackmail Nora. I'm going to give away the main plot here because it turns out that years before um, when Torvald, when they were struggling and Torvald was overworking, he became very ill. And the only way that she could fund his recovery was by forging a check, forging the signature of, of her father's um, uh, um, money so that um, she could guarantee the money that Krogstar would raise for, for her. But as Krogstar is about to lose his job um, and Krogstar has a dark history himself, he blackmail, blackmails her into saying um, by saying that unless she makes sure that he gets a job, he will expose her. So the play becomes a kind of thriller 
where um, she tries desperately to find a way out. Um, uh, and for the first, I'm, I'm not, it's difficult because I don't want to give it all away, but, yeah, but, but the, the, the power and what makes the play famous is that the play is, uh, although it appears to have all these kind of thriller elements, is actually about a marriage. Um, and uh, the climax of the play, which I won't give away, um, mm. was such a shock. Uh, when it came out in in the 19th century, that it was said that it that, that when well it said that it echoed across Europe, and instantly Ibsen, who was you know a Norwegian playwright that no one had ever heard of, became famous all across Europe and America. Uh, the play was argued about and debated and performed, and it was even rewritten to, to, with a completely different ending, which which changed the ending completely. Uh, and even now, it's seen as a shocking, powerful, inspirational, radical play. Um, which still gets people debating um, and arguing, um, uh, and still has huge questions hanging over it about about um, decisions that the characters make. Um, it's an absolutely brilliant piece of writing. Um, uh, don't be put off by the fact that the playwright is Norwegian. Um, if there's any part of the country where where um, that's going to make sense, it's going to be the northeast with its with its t- strong cultural ties to Scandinavia and ways of thinking. It's a brilliant play. It's it's got humour in it. It's warm, um, but it's also, as I say, it's edge of the seat. So and very much, I, I'm a evangelist for this kind of theatre. I grew up with a theatre director father and a theatre designer mother. And the theatre that they founded in Manchester was based on doing Ibsen. So oh. they were, fa- and he was part of a group of directors and writers who made Ibsen famous in Britain. Um, so I grew up unafraid of Ibsen. Um, and the plays are absolutely breathtaking. He was like a family friend. And I knew the man who translated the version that we're doing. And he, oh, was, wow. he, was, he was the world's, he was the English speaking world's Ibsen expert. He wrote biographies of Ibsen. Um, so I grew up. Uh, li- talking to him, having dinner with him, and and and, and absorbing all his wisdom. Um, uh, but tragically, he died two weeks before I was eventually got round to doing one of his translations, which was not of Ibsen but of Strindberg, who was a contemporary of Ibsen. Oh, so this is the very first time I will have done a professional Ibsen, um, decades after I first read him. And I'm sorry that Michael won't, Michael Mayer, who was the translator, won't see it. But his daughter, Nora, who um, I'm very good friends with, we're, we're hoping she's going to come up and see it. Um, but to do it with my company up here, the way I want to do it with with, with the wonderful actors I'm doing it with um, in this part of the world. So to bring this play to people who might not know it is an absolute thrill um, and a real privilege. Goodness. So this is actually a deeply personal experience for you. Yeah doing this play isn't it it's it makes it even more special I guess for people seeing it to know that it's been made with such love and also that there's such connections to your early life and to your origins I suppose yeah well I I suppose you could say that I think I think the first time I read it I was 16 years old Um, I'm going to be 51 in um, in 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 the middle of our um, rehearsals in the last week of rehearsals so you're talking about um Gosh, how much time is that? That that's that's a a, a, a fair few years of prep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and it's interesting because it it, it, it it's um it for years. I mean, I've read all of Ibsen and I and I, I love it uh, and I've, I've wanted to do all of it for years. And funnily enough, Doll's House was one that I didn't want to do hugely simply because it was done all the time. Mm. Um, but it's also done in in certain ways that that have that have um, I've only ever seen it done once where it was absolutely electrifying and blew me away. And I, I think I was 16 when I saw that. And I still remember it. Uh, Brenda Blethyn playing Nora, 
This is at the Royal Exchange. And I just remember my heart pounding throughout mm. the entire last act, um, not knowing what was going to happen. Um, uh, and because it's done all the time, I thought, well, no, no one needs a new production of A Doll's House. Mm. Uh, and there are all these other um, plays that we should be doing, which are equally brilliant. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, we did Miss Julie by Strindberg. Um, and it was our first classic and we set it up here in Northumberland. We, we changed the names. We did it with, with Northumberland accents. We launched it from Hexham, and it was a big success. And the obvious thing to do was to follow it with with with, with an Ibsen. And Adult mm. is the most famous one. Um, and we also very much wanted to... Uh, up until now, we've been a very small outfit. And we wanted to start really engaging with schools and universities. Um, and uh, that's a big evangelical thing for me. It, it feels really important that theatre should speak to people, that people feel, feel like own theatre. And um, so we, we chose A Doll's House because, because it's one that is well known, it is popular, but also for the first time we've raised the money to enable ourselves to have an engagement team. And we're getting out there, we're going into schools and colleges and universities, and um, we're talking to refugee centres, um, uh, all sorts of organisations which are reaching out, and, we're, and we're, 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 we're doing workshops. This is the, this is the one to excite people with. Uh, it's very accessible. Um, and uh, we're hoping that this will just switch people's lights on and make them go, we want more. Yeah, and I, I really think that it will. It's so it's we've got an interesting thing in common, Jake. Because actually, I was also sixteen the first time I saw the play at Doll's House, and um, it's just because I remember being completely electrified by it. And I, yeah. I that and, and the other thing that we haven't quite touched on that much yet is that it is so contemporary. And yeah. so, I mean, it, considering when it was written, which was what the nineteenth century. Yeah. It was. It would have been highly progressive, but e even then, but but even even now, it still is. And especially if you look at it through, well, you can look at it through many different lenses, I think. But one, of course, is is feminism, which I found really interesting. That I now you correct me if I'm wrong because you are the expert in this field. But I think um, Ibsen actually denied that it had that he wrote it with a kind of feminist lens um, at the time, but it sort of seems undeniable in a way. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? This is the huge sensitive topic about it. The answer is really complicated, but really yeah, fascinating. Where to start? It's such a huge subject. Um, and, I, and it's difficult to talk about without giving away the ending. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, what, what I will say is that the point about the play was it was the first time that a great playwright had written about the institution of marriage, which at mm. the time was the, was the cornerstone of, of European society uh, in pretty much across the board. Uh, but to write it from the point of view of a woman uh, and to suggest that um, a woman's right to uh, freedom, to individuation, to dignity uh, and emotional satisfaction uh, was as equal to a man's. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and this was, um, it, uh, it, it was revolutionary for the theatre. So at the time, you had novelists writing similar things. So you had Tolstoy writing Anna Karenina. You had uh, George Eliot writing her novels. You had Jane Eyre. You had, you, had a, um, you, had, you had similar books being written in Germany and in France, Madame Bovary. But no one had put it on the stage. Um, yeah. So when it landed on the stage, it went off like a bomb. Uh, and Ibsen's... Um, uh, um, it, certainly in this country, and I think pretty much across Europe, uh, women became a massive 
uh, audience for Ibsen because for the first time he was really putting women centre stage on the stage. And he went on to write a whole stream of amazing parts for women. Uh, so the next play he wrote was Ghosts, where he's well, I'm not going to give that one away. That's that's again about a marriage, um, and um, uh, he was seen as this is this great playwright who understood women, wrote through wrote and wrote these amazing parts. Um, but and there was a women's movement at the time across Europe. It wasn't mm. nearly as strong as it is has been now since the Second World War, etc. Uh, and women's rights at the time were 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 far behind where we are now. Mm. Women weren't didn't have property rights. They didn't have they could couldn't own money if they were in the marriage. So, for instance, in the play, uh, uh, the husband Torval controls the money. Mm. To our view, um, uh, it, the way he does it is shocking. But 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 to the nineteenth century, it was completely normal that the man would be the one who d- makes decisions about the finances. Mm. Um, and Ibsen, um, when he started out, um, didn't have very progressive views of for, of women's rights. But when he wrote *A Doll's House*, he had started to become aware of them. And the play was 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 written in response to something that happened to a woman that he knew, uh, who oh, had actually right. gone through pretty much exactly the same process. And he'd got to know her because she'd sent him a novel to read and asked him to um, talk about it with him. Um, and uh, subs- and he, they had a correspondence, and it was all very positive. And then, pretty much, what happens in the play happened to her. Um, and uh, the, the parallels are so close to what happened to her that it's very clear that he was furious about it. <laughs> wow. And so the play in one sense is, is his response to what happened to this woman. And he had started to become interested in women's rights. But what he famously said when the play became uh, celebrated as a, as, as, a, as a play for the women's movement was, and he was, he was invited to a particular um, sort of event, a women's movement event, and given an award uh, and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he stood up and said, I'm really grateful for this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a play written for the women's movement, it's, nor is it a feminist play, and I don't actually know what that means, um, but thank you. And it's a notorious statement, um, uh, and, and I've spent loads of time trying to think, okay, what did he mean? Um, mm. uh, because the play has become an iconic feminist play. Um, Jermaine it, it, Greer writes about it. Um, uh, there's all sorts of versions of it, which... which, which um, uh, expand the feminism of it, and I. The only and and what was interesting is that is that as he goes on with his plays, um, the feminism is is more and more complex and more 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 nuanced and more or more involved. Uh, but he matches it with 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 equally complex male characters. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, Ibsen's great theme is people who are trapped. People who are yeah. trapped in marriages that are loveless, trapped in in families that are loveless, um, trapped because they can't love the person they want to be with, and his characters are always trying to make a leap to escape and be free and and individuate, or they're wracked with guilt because their pursuit of their own independence is, has hurt other people. Um, uh, and the only play that he wrote where the character actually makes the leap is *The Doll's House*. Um, now my feeling is that the the and this is controversial because I am a man um, <laughs> is that where I think some feminist analysis of the play uh, falls short is they don't look at the male characters in as is in, in as complex a way as 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 the female characters um, and um, my feeling is that and this is what and this is the only time I've seen it work is is that the power of the ending mm-hmm. is that uh, Nora wakes up. 
and makes the decision to pursue her. But and the husband wakes up too late. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. So and, and that's yeah. what people get wrong about the play is that is that when Ibsen said it's not a feminist play, he meant mm-hmm. my message of the need to be free is not just for women. Yeah. It's for men as well. Do you see what I mean? Very that is actually very nuanced. Well that's because the I, point. Yeah, yeah. and the because the, the kind of overriding understanding is that he it, it wasn't written. It, in that, you know, from a feminist perspective, but really he's basically saying these are fundamental human needs. Yes. Well, that's the interesting thing. So what happens is you tend to get with analyses of the play, only, people only ever talk about Nora, but there are, there are five other characters, <laughs> yeah. all of whom are highly complex and, and subtle. Mm. As you know, this podcast is called Unseen. And the reason that it's called that is because we are really interested and we, we we think that other people might be too in the kind of backstage behind the scenes work that it takes to bring creative ideas yeah. to the public so kind of how the magic happens and obviously your company you all know each other pretty well so I would imagine that you the way you work is very sort of collaborative and um it would be really interesting to get a f- just a little bit of a snapshot of what that process yeah, well, is like for well, you um for you so all. there's a, a bit of a story behind this is that is that when i founded the company um what it, it, it was it was what five six years ago it was after years of directing under all sorts of different circumstances and um and i'd lost my confidence so i it took me years to come back to it and I, I thought I decided that instead of um that I decided that I wanted to work with an ensemble so I wanted to do a certain kind of work with actors uh who um felt the same way as me wanted to do the same kind of work as me um and and who I trusted and they trusted me so we I founded it with a with an actor friend of mine who funnily enough I met when I was training him as an actor at Mountview Drama School in London. Um, and the actress opposite her, him, uh, who, who'd done three of our shows, I think, was the same year. And I was teaching them a term of Ibsen and Strindberg. So this is going to come full circle, is that we're now doing Ibsen and Strindberg now. Anyway, so the, the huge difference between the company yeah. I'm running now and any company I've worked with before is that we do it together. So uh, the policy, we started with nothing. We started yeah. with very low uh, budgets. But the deal was that we would we would carry up our performers and our and our producers and our teams onwards and so we choose our plays uh we talk about them we decide them um uh so we know who are we know who we want to work with and we build up a way of working which is our own and what that means is that is that there's a huge amount of trust um uh as the awareness that we all want to go to the same place with a piece of work so if the piece of the work is dark or passionate or something like that the actors aren't going to hold back from it they're going to want to go there they're going to want to have the kind of intimate conversations that access all that and it means that we're actor driven as well as director driven and we're producer driven um and Mm. uh we've slowly started to build up an ensemble so we work with an actor once we then if it goes well we go right what else can we do with them and gradually that builds um so uh that's meant for instance that all our shows except for one up till now, we've only rehearsed in two weeks. And because we know each other so well, we work much, much, mm. much, much faster. With this one, we're, we're, we're just doing, we're doing three weeks. Yeah. It's a bigger play. So, so Danny, who's playing Torvald, 
he's been in all our shows except one so he's always played the lead um hannah who is playing nora um she originally founded the company with us but was just the producer now she's also a very talented actress and a writer she's gone on to write a covid monologue for us and this is the third stage piece that she will have appeared in so she started out in a play called the river that we did um which was the first one that got us to hexham that was the first one we performed in hexham and ever since then queen's hall hexham has been one of our has been our co-producer without them we wouldn't be where we are now they've given us huge support and that's thanks to jeff keys and katie taylor she then went on to be in hello and goodbye that we live streamed during covid and then we did a brief tour of last year and now she's playing nora so you see if you see what i mean is that we're gradually we take actors yeah. we, we bring actors with us and they grow in their roles and we choose the roles because we think you'd be amazing playing that so and the same thing is happening with with the writings uh, the writers write uh, uh, that we're working with start to write with actors in mind so it's just very exciting and it's a very organic way of working when i work with other companies i do it more traditionally where you you know you cast and all that and i remember saying saying that, that the lovely thing about what we're doing at the moment is that everybody in our shows I've either worked with before or I've seen their work or someone has recommended them to me who I trust. And as a consequence, it's been pretty much seamless, every production. It's, a, it's, it's so far been a, been a real joy. And, and we're looking forward to bringing Heather and Michael on and also Wynne Potts, who was started out um, as an extra when we did... Um, Miss Julie, she was brilliant in that, and now she's she's a local actress from Hexham. She's now playing a role. She's playing the maid in in in, in Adele's house. So it's all moving forward. We've also got lovely community engagement. We're having three Hexham children. We'll be recording the voices of the children. Lovely. Um, so it's great. It's fantastic. That that's that's so brilliant, and I think people are really interested to know more about that side of it. And um, so I have thank you so much for your time, Jack. I really appreciate it. And I've just got one more question for you. Which sure. is what's next? What's next for your company? What 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 are your kind of dreams and hopes for what for the work that you can develop and do next? So literally, what's next? Um, <laughs> so that when we when we start rehearsals for a doll's house, we're going to be releasing our final uh, five COVID nineteen monologues. Mm-hmm. It's actually six, uh, and these are online monologues free of charge. Um, uh, they're going to be coming out. Um, uh, Three of them are by Northeastern writers, um, and um, those, those will be on our YouTube channel. Um, the we've done we've got nine on 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 the channel at the moment, and more than thirteen thousand people have seen them. Uh, they've been seen all over the world. One of them has been selected for twenty four film festivals. Fantastic! Ev- everywhere from sort of Brazil to Spain to Korea wow. to Durban, um, and three of them have been adapted into full length plays that we're going to try and get on over the next eighteen months. Straight after Adult's House, we have Steve Byron's Reaver mm-hmm. Tales from the Border, uh, and that's an expansion of one of the. Um, monologues that he wrote called Blackmail and that's part of something that's going to be touring in also coming to Hexham and that's touring in November across the historical mixture of historical sites um, rural communities and also Hexham and Anik uh, theatres we started tiny and we have massive ideas uh, what's been lovely about coming up here is that the theatre community as you put it threw open its doors to us the support has been absolutely fantastic Oh, well, I think that is a perfect note for us to wrap up this fantastic conversation. It has been such a joy to talk to you, hear more about your work and your your process and also your expertise. It's just been fascinating. Thank you so much for your time, Jake. Thank you, Brady. 
Great. It's really nice to hear from Jake. So Jake and Elysium have been working with us for a number of years and they're here rehearsing uh, the play before it gets on stage and we're supporting it. So we're uh, putting some funding in and providing some space. But that also means that we get to pop in on some of the rehearsals and see how it's going and find out a bit more about the creative process while they're actually in the building. Uh, But yeah, a great company. It's based in the northeast that we've supported since their outset a number of years ago. Yeah, and they meant it was really lovely to hear Jake speak about Queen's Hall so highly and, and to kind of acknowledge the support he'd received from you. And he, he kind of said it was a real game changer for the company, which is really great to hear. But it's fantastic to have that created in our building. Yeah. Because so much work is touring from somewhere else in the country and just lands for a night or a night or two. And we don't have any impact on the, on that process, um, but it also doesn't impact on the northeast. So, the fact that there's a company in the northeast with northeast creatives and and developing people, and that's the other thing that Jake and Elysium are really good at is bringing young people in on the process and developing them and creating opportunities and pathways for young people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was what was. One of the really interesting things about the interview in general for me was him talking about not necessarily doing open calls. Yeah, it's great to hear. You know, as a as a as a curator, you kind of feel under a lot of pressure to be constantly doing that magnanimous thing of making every opportunity wide open. But actually, it's sometimes it's not. You can't also contribute to artistic development so well when you do that. You have to do that. It's really important you do that, and that you meet new people and find new yeah. talent and share that and and get the process started for some people it it's also a bad thing to give somebody an opportunity and then never see them again (laughs) and it was a really sensible approach that you took i thought to see the talent and possibility in others and then develop that as well so i really enjoyed hearing about that and the direct lineage to ibsen as well through you know the family connections and knowing the translator and you know it felt like some of ibsen's power is being uh, carried the torches being carried all the way to Queen's Hall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's obviously just a very, a very passionate, personal thing for him. This production, mm. which I think will make it even more electrifying to to watch. So go and see it, everyone. <laughs> um, and I believe you can buy tickets um, on the Queen's Hall website for that, along with tickets and information about all the other wonderful stuff that we've mentioned today. Thanks, Brady. Um, yeah, so this was this is a kind of holding episode. If you listen to episode five, you'll hear Brady and myself laughing about not knowing when the next episodes <laughs> are coming out. And we didn't want to leave you waiting too long, so we thought we'd make this one. Um, but the wheels are turning. The podcast machine yep. is kind of firing on all cylinders, and we should have some new episodes for you very soon that will follow this format. So it'd be lovely to know what you think be lovely to know if there's anything you would like us to share. This is your opportunity to find out more about what's going on behind the scenes at Queen's Hall as well. So on that note, one of the best ways to let us know is to follow us on social media. Yay! Um, And that would be, look for us on Instagram and Twitter. That's probably your best bet. I don't think we've got a TikTok. Still not on TikTok. Always make a (laughs) joke. No dancers behind the scenes uh, or anything like that, I'm afraid. Uh, no wanton destruction. <laughs> so we'll be back with another episode soon. And please visit the website for more information. And that's it from me. 
Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Brilliant. Goodbye, everyone. Hopefully see you in the Queen's Hall soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>